Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lumumba, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. Hello, and welcome to an exciting conversation, Southern Fried Futures, presented by the Mississippi Book Festival. We'll be talking about comics and Afrofuturism and Mississippi roots with Tim Felder, John Jennings, and Donna Lynn Washington. I'm Ellen Daniels, the Literary Director of the Mississippi Book Festival, and we thank you all for being here. I'm gonna do a couple introductions, and then I'm gonna pass it off to these three huge talents. So uh, bear with me while I read off everything that these wonderful things that these three people have done. First off, we have Tim Felder. Tim is an illustrator, a concept designer, cartoonist, an animator born in Tupelo, Mississippi and raised in Clarksdale, Mississippi. He has worked over the years in storyboarding, film visual development, gaming, comics, and animation industries for clients as varied as Marvel Comics, The Village Voice, TriStar Pictures to Ubisoft Entertainment. He also works as an educator for institutions such as the New York Film Academy and Howard University. Tim has a forthcoming graphic novel, Infinitum, an Afrofuturist tale published by HarperCollins Amistad in January 2021, so be looking out for that. Next up, we have John Jennings, who is a professor of media and cultural studies at the University of California. John is co-editor of the Eisner Award winning collection, The Blacker the Ink. Constitutions of the Black Identity in Comics and Sequential Art. He is also a 2016 Nasser Jones Hip Hop Studies Fellow with the Hutchins Center at Harvard University. John's current projects include the horror anthology Box of Bones, the Coffee Table Book, The Black Comics Returns, and the Eisner winning, Bram Stoker Award winning, and New York Times best-selling graphic novel adaptation of Octavia Butler's classic novel, Kindred. John and Damian Duffy recently released a graphic novel adaptation of Octavia Butler's dystopian novel, Parable of the Sower. John is also the founder and curator of the Abrams Megascope line of graphic novels. And last, but certainly not least, we have Donna Lynn Washington. Donna Lynn edited the book, John Jennings Conversations, part of the University Press of Mississippi's Conversation with Comic Artists series. She is an adjunct lecturer of English at Kingsborough Community College, and she is also senior editor and senior writer at Review Fix. She has contributed to Rediscovering Frank Yerby, critical essays published by the University Press of Mississippi, as well as entries to the Encyclopedia of Black Comets. Thank you all so much. I got through that without screwing up. So again, we're so glad you're all here. and I'm going to hand it over to all of you. Thank you. Okay, thank you awesome. It's great. Oh, yes, thank you, Ellen. Um, I'm excited um, to meet both of you. Um, well, I know John from, of course, the book right. um, that we that we did. Well, basically, I feel like we did it because um, What's the title of that book again. Um, Conver <laughs> Don Jennings Conversations. Ah, and, <laughs> and wants to hear it. But I'm <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> the thing, the thing about the book that I love is that um, without, for me, I know without 
with comics in general, without the visual, there really is, there is no, there's no, no, no book no, in, in terms of comic book. I mean, it's just, well, that's what my love, that's my main love. Um, before I could read, there were the pictures. Right. So I, I love that. Um, and not to take over <laughs> everything, but I'm just excited to, um, to be here and to be at the book festival and, and discuss comics and art and speculative fiction and horror. And, and um, I wanted to ask both of you all um, with the new projects that you are doing um, in relationship to what you've done in the past, um, how has that um, been influenced by your Mississippi roots? because you both are from Mississippi. And uh, for myself, I, I'm from born and raised in Brooklyn, but my, um, I have Caribbean roots um, in Trinidad and Grenada. So um, it's really a, like a composite or a mosaic of, I feel the roots between Southerners and Caribbean people is very similar. Mm -hmm. But um, I would love to know how you both um, see your projects in illumination or in light of your um, your Mississippi backgrounds mm -hmm. and growing up in Mississippi. Okay. You, Go ahead, you got it. You got it. Yeah, okay. You got it. It's funny. It's funny because um, <clears throat> what you're saying about the Caribbean and the South, uh, I think, is really very telling. Um, we're good friends with um, Nettie Okorafor, you know, who's a Nigerian American uh, or Niger American, as she says. Uh, science fiction writer, and she said one of the most African spaces that she's ever encountered was when she was in Mississippi or like in the South, you know, particularly Louisiana, Mississippi, you know, when she would go there. She said it, she felt like she was, you know, in, in, in Lagos or something or like Nigeria, you know. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, anyway, so uh, I was born in Brookhaven, Mississippi, um, which is about, uh, about an hour or so south. Uh, no, north, I'm sorry, of uh, New Orleans, give or take, you know. Um, and uh, I was raised in Flora, Mississippi, which is in Madison County. Uh, our claim to fame is the, the, it's the petrified forest. <laughs> That's what a petrified forest in Mississippi is. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> so, I, think we, I think we, you know, it's a small town, agrarian in nature. And so I grew up in a, in a space where I had a lot of time to dream, you know, and, and think, you know, outside of you know, the city, you know, which was the closest city, of course, is Jackson and or and I and Canton, Mississippi is the county seat. So and so I grew up in a, you know, I literally grew up in the middle of a cotton field. I know it sounds like really cliche, but no, uh, not so much in in Mississippi. But, you know, uh, and, you know, we came up, um, you know, uh, we came up poor, you know, honestly, I mean, we came up poor. we didn't have a we didn't have a lot. I didn't realize we didn't have a lot, but I did have my imagination. So, um a lot of most of my projects actually are connected to the south in some way uh before we started uh recording i was talking about this idea of the, the cyber trap like the reason why i was at harvard was i was creating a transmedia storytelling space that essentially is a uh, uh an amalgam of like trap culture you know from like atlanta mixed with cyber uh cyberpunk and so because because a lot of times uh, when we think about the future we don't think about the black south or we don't think about the american south and think about it like all the major uh, right. narratives that you see, you know, they're, they're jumping off and like, like RoboCop is taking place in like, you know, Detroit and you have like, 
you know, Blade Runners in Los Angeles, you have all, you know, you don't really see an urban Southern space. And so, you know, I, I basically designed a space, you know, to, to kind of like, you know, uh, talk about that. Um, we always think about the South as being like a, you know, oppressive backwards and haunted, you know, we, they, we use these Gothic terms to talk about the South. So, uh, which brings me to another, uh, another uh, creation, Blue Hand Mojo, which, Yay, my favorite. <laughs> which, you know, it's about a, um, a black man who was, uh, who was a, who was a uh, sharecropper um, and he ends up uh, losing his family to a racialized violent, uh, you know, racialized violence. And he, like his cousin, he's a fictitious cousin of Robert Johnson. And he goes down to the crossroads and he basically sells his soul to the devil, so to speak, for mystical power. And uh, what's interesting about that character though, is that, you know, because of the devil's, the deal with the devil, he actually lives into the future. So the future of that character is like, he's gonna end up becoming a sci-fi character, you know, and then, and then kind of like part of like what, what I call conjure punk, that idea of like using Hoodoo and conjure as a technology mixed with like sci-fi, you know. Um, but yeah, but both basically the just to kind because of, I don't want to you know burn up too much time. Um, the the cyber trap space you hear you hear Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, man? That's the that's the that's the that's the Afro future right there. Right there. Yeah. Right. That's, 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 that's the the mini megascope. Right. Yeah. yeah, he's getting he's getting probably about to get some food right now. He's in the, there's a curtain behind me and behind that is my family. Anyway, so, um, anyway, so uh, the Cybertrap itself is a world, it's a world. So, you know, there is a metafictional component to it. Like there's a family that lives in a Cybertrap that actually makes speculative fiction. And so the characters that are, that I'm creating are in those magazines. This is called um, Electric Revival is the name of the magazine. So, which Tim knows quite a bit about actually. So, yeah, but so, so a lot of these things are definitely connected to um, to my southern roots. One of my, I was actually I did a talk at Mass Art yesterday, and uh, one of the students asked me like, "What, where my color schemes come from?" Right, like the one behind me, and I told him like, every color, every every image that I do, I put an overlay of like a Mississippi red, like a like a like a. You always see like this ochre, you know, that 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 basically is the red dirt of the south. You know, that's where I'm actually I'm putting like some durian up everything. And those like touches of turquoise, though that's paint blue. You know, that comes from like the southern the South Carolina areas, you know, that so which is like a mystical color that's supposed to ward off evil spirits and catch haints and stuff. So, you know, I'm 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 very much using the um the the visual language of the South and the and the customs of the South and pretty much everything I do. So Oh wow. Oh Tim, what about you? Uh well, um I think you know, for me, when it comes to my history, you know, I, I didn't grow up in the middle of a cotton field. I just grew up right across the street from it. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you breathe in that Agent Orange coming from from uh, during the sunset. It rises and, and it makes you go different places. But uh, uh, my parents were both educators, so uh, things like engaging media was always a thing. You know, I grew up on a junior college campus. Oklahoma Junior College uh, in Clarkstone, Mississippi. Uh, and uh, so there was a library on campus. So we engaged in that uh, all the time. I wasn't as big a reader as my oldest and second oldest brother, but being the youngest out of the four kids, I really didn't have much of a say as to what kind of entertainment or media we would engage in. So musically, 
you know. I had no choice but to listen to Parliament Funkadelic. I had no choice but to listen to Elton John during his pinball wizard period. I had no choice but to look at early Marvels and DCs because I had no say in what we could read. Uh, and of course, that expanded once I became fascinated with that material. Uh, and we began to get into the underground comics. So I, at the age, oh God, I could have been any older than seven or eight, being in, uh, introduced to a lot of this Mark Bodie, R. Crumb, George Metzger with Frank. the underground comics. So watch, reading the, ex the Trash Man. Uh, by Spain Rodriguez, which was absolutely insane. In, in you know, across the street from a cotton field in 1975, was insane. Particularly because our parents didn't know we were getting it. So my second oldest brother was buying these books. All of them were buying it from Bud Plant, which is a comic book distributor based out of San Francisco. So he would ship it to us via UPS. So we would get all of these comics. So I grew up looking at a lot of the Marvel and DCs, but really what formed my space, and I'm connected to the Mississippi route, since all this was happening in Mississippi, uh, early Howard Chicken, mm -hmm. uh, Star Reach, Cody Starbuck, painted yep. graphic novels, uh, the, the most phenomenal being the adaptation that Chicken did of uh, uh, Samuel R. Delaney's Empire, which yeah. completely changed and altered my life. Anyone that looks at my book coming up, Infinitum, Mm -hmm. can directly see the through line from Empire to yep. Infinitum. Uh, they even sound alike. Um, but that type of work, looking at Tim Conrad's adaptation of uh, Robert E. Howard's Almeric, fully painted, fully rendered works, Heavy Metal Magazine, Mobius, mm -hmm. Inky Bilal, Philippe Drouillet, all those. You know, before I had my kids, I was going to become a Van Desene artist. I was going to go to France. I was mm -hmm. either going to go to Japan I was going to go to France. But of course, kids said, no, you're going to stay here. So, uh, <laughs> but those things collided with my Mississippi roots. Um, mm -hmm. Going to New York in 1986, where I would take a lot of the Black Rock uh, stuff that was around at, the, uh, at that time, the Black Rock Coalition. I generally haven't talked about that as much in the past, but you know, now that I'm getting out there, it's so, okay, let's start telling people who you are and what your background is. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I came to New York, that was when the next major change came where the urban experience began to collide with the Southern experience. Uh, and I never shied away from that for better or worse, you know, wasn't necessarily the best thing for my career, <laughs> you know, but I did it and I've continued to do it. And, uh, uh, I, I have no shame. I'm not embarrassed by being a black or, or Southern cartoonist. Mm -hmm. I'm a black American cartoonist. I'm an Afrofuturist and I, I dig all of it. That is dope. You know, I was, I, can I do a follow-up? Cause, Cause I was thinking about the influence. Cause I had, what he was saying was like, I was like, man, I should have talked about my influences more. I'm like, oh, I'm failing already. You know, I'm just kidding. We <laughs> <laughs> got an hour, man, go ahead. Go ahead oh, talk you. about the influences. That's the most important thing is, the influ is, is who, have, who, who has influenced you, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the, the backgrounds between, I mean, doing the, the book um, and seeing all your influences is like, they, you would never ask that. 
in the interviews, but um, you drop them throughout all mm. of them. And part of what I was doing for the book is like, okay, well, I, I need to not have it be repetitive, but your influences, I can see them. Right. Your artwork. I can see them when you were doing Blue Hand Mojo, which um, for me is what jump started um, this quest for me to find everything that you all and Duffy were doing together, right? <laughs> Jim, go ahead. I have a question for, for Donnelly. When you see his art, who do you see as the major influence? I'm very curious to hear. Oh, I see a, um, a, lot, of, um, a lot of horror in it. I see um, a lot of root working in it. I see um, when I when I look at the artwork and um, I see a lot of Jack Kirby with the um, the block um, right. sort of the block uh, right the, the hard line shapes right and the hard line shapes right. and you know you know black you know, you know well, black Kirby well you know Jack Kirby when you see him right right you see his work. Mm -hmm. um, it's very distinctive. Like right. um, Jack Kirby's Thor is different from any other Thor, right? right? Jack Kirby's Black Panther is different from any other Black Panther right. in the sense of how it's drawn and the, and the lines in which it's drawn, the, the strong um, square chin, the features mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you see, it's people of strength, whether it's um, Big Barda, uh, whether it's male or female characters, right? Mm -hmm. Big Barda mm -hmm. or the, the, the gods or Dark Seed that he created in DC Comics or in Marvel Comics where he has co-created nearly all of what we see right. in the MCU. Right. I see those influences. Right. And um, it's a lot of strength mm -hmm. in... In what I in what I see, but I pretty love accurate. about yeah. What I, <laughs> pretty accurate. That's pretty yeah. accurate. I, I will say this. Though. I will say this though. Uh, one of the things that's that's it's obvious, uh, but the serious influence of Harvey Kurtzman in in John's work. Yeah. Harvey Kurtzman, a lot of Harvey Kurtzman, uh, but kind of this kind of unfortunate collision. There's this story. What's that? What, what's his name? Bernard. Kirkston, Crixton, the guy who did the, was it Crixton, who did the, the thing about the Nazi finding the, the Jewish Holocaust survivor finding the Jewish man, uh, the, the Nazi uh, oh, yeah. refugee on the train. Is it Bernard Crixton? I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I have, have his name wrong. Yeah. But it's like a lot of that kind of, because your style is definitely influenced by Jack Kirby. But there's this serious EC Warren. You know, I'm I'm very much in, influenced by that. Stuff. Oh, dude, you were swimming in that. You were yeah, swimming for, in that. But when you when that collides with the the social the social activism, the 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 black stuff. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, that's when you I think come around to to the to it's it's almost like you know. You had to do Kendrick, you know, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Wow, that's you know? that's um, that's uh, that's sorry, very, man. Sorry. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, dude. You know, there's sorry. a trauma to it, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. It's funny because Tim also, yeah. you know, because because we see each other's, uh, we see each right. other's, uh, 
uh, influence. They're very similar, actually, because, you know, like, you know, we have a common influence, which is Julier, you know, Philippe Julier. And there's a lot of Julier. Lone Sloan, Lone Sloan. A lot of Lone Sloan, exactly. Yeah. A lot of um, Ditko, actually. Yeah. And I, I, Steve like Ditko, really heavy Ditko, yep. But, uh, you know, and of course, with, with um, you know, of course, Chaykin was also, you know, an influence for, for me, but definitely you see it in, in Tim's work. But of course, Richard Corbin is a major... Oh man, Richard Corbin is. Yeah. Well, I'm you sorry. know, it's an interesting. It's an interesting thing with Richard. So Richard, I've never met Richard, but the last I have two phases of my comic book career. I have what I did from '86 to like '99, just before I left the comic industry I imploded, and I went into video games. The last mm -hmm. comic job I did was I did breakdowns for Richard Corbin. And for anyone who doesn't know who Richard Corbin is, Richard Corbin. Let's think of the most visual things. If you've ever seen Heavy Metal, the movie, yeah, yeah, the the nude ball man, that's Richard mm -hmm. Corbin's creation. That's based on this character called Den. Yeah, and Richard, the thing that was really phenomenal about Corbin was that beyond just his his techniques of art creation, yeah. he was able to. At the time, they used to have things where you would have to separate your colors, mm -hmm. right? To to print your books, but he had devised a technique to get a painted feel with his airbrush because he could go in and somehow manipulate. I don't know the process, you know. I just remember reading up on this when I was younger, and it's like, wow, this guy did all this work before there was digital. But what a lot of people don't realize is that in the 90s, Richard transferred over to digital. Mm -hmm. So Richard started using a lot of 3D elements in his work. He was right. a 3D, 3DS Max guy. And people were like, what's that? That's 3D animation software that I use. I've been using it for right. almost 20 years now. Bad at it, but I use it. But <laughs> I mean, I am. I am. There are people who, who are much more adept at it. But I use it similar to how Richard uses it, where I'm just using it as a device to get my work done or mm -hmm. to, to bring in elements that will reduce the level of repetition. Yeah, in my yeah. work, and yeah. and uh, so I'm just saying that because I did breakdowns for this Richard Corbin story, mm -hmm. and, and after that I was done. I never really had to do any more comics, right. you know, until I met this guy and, and Stacy <laughs> Robinson, and they got me back in. You know, you know, I was out, and they pulled me back in. You know, right? And like, uh, so, yeah, and and so now, all of that material, all of that knowledge that I learned over the decades. You know, I, I don't even draw on paper anymore. Everything is digital. Yeah, I don't even. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, why? You know? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me anymore. Yeah, that's my studio. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's that's it. I, well, of course, uh, my, I, I, I'm, I'm working on a Cintiq now. So right underneath me here is a huge Cintiq, a 32-inch, because I can't see as well. Uh, but, you know, I have no... Yeah, I know a number of artists uh, make their money from selling of originals. That's For right. Me, I I long ago divorced myself from that need to have the physical artwork because yeah. the work was produced for for it was it was made for reproduction anyway. That's right. It was going right. to be the same size. Yep. It was going to be shown in the same format. So yeah. for now, and having my work changed and altered before, it's like man, just get it done. Move on to the next job. So exactly. I'm very mercenary about it now. No, and, that, and that's like, that's one of the, the under underpinnings of black black of black Kirby. Like uh, 
Tim mentioned uh, Stacy Robinson, who I was just talking to because we're on a crazy deadline. Well, one of the things that we're doing for Megascope is a um, is a short primer to the uh, the Tulsa Race Massacre. It's called Across the Tracks, and Stacy is the artist on it. The pages are awesome. They awesome. look phenomenal. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He's been drawing. It's some of the best work I've seen him do sequentially. You know, but you know we have this crazy deadline, and uh, you know we have turning three pages um, to the printer today just to so so they could see what the colors are looking like. So anyway, so that was a conversation before this conversation. <laughs> Always making stuff. But um, I was thinking about that. Yeah, and so Tim was talking about these influences. You know, I have to mention. I got to do a shout out to my mom actually because you're talking about like your. I grew up. You know, I grew, I grew up like really isolated. Like I said, we grew up like really isolated. We did have a town library and the librarian saved my life to a certain degree. I love, I love going to the library, you know, and I always do a shout out to the librarians. I'm actually doing a keynote at, at a library, like um, at a com at a virtual convention on, on my birthday, actually, November 5th, which, you know, I'll be 50 and I'm doing like a talk on my birthday. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um, and um yeah, so so my mom was always a huge horror fan. Like she was really into horror. She was really into sci-fi. I started reading Edgar Allan Poe probably way too too early, you know. Mm. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. She messed me up real good, perfectly. You know what I'm saying? Because we would watch like these scary ass movies, you know, <laughs> you know, so and uh, they would be and then we would talk about them, you know, later. And uh that was really cool. And then my grandmother probably was a conjure woman. Yeah, you because know, I'm thinking about like the stuff that she would say. She would always make like remedies from weeds and teas and stuff like that. Yeah, she was, she was definitely some type of herbalist or like root worker. And I didn't really think about it then, but I just thought like, you know, like, wow, you're just superstition, you know. And I would, but then I actually would run and I would, I would read up on different superstitions because she, she influenced me to go because I want to argue with her, like that's not true. And I find a book on superstitions and say, okay, well maybe it might be true. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> so it's like these two women are like two of the major influences. You know, army. I just didn't know. You know, like for instance, I mean, my mother was a quilter and my grandmother was a quilter, and so now I'm actually wow. obsessed with quilts. I actually just did a piece with uh, Sanford Biggers. Um, oh, I did great, beautiful, beautiful work. It's called Mother Patchwork. Thank you. That I did with like uh, David Brame and uh, Esperanza Bay, and um, but I've been thinking about like the quilting patterns and stuff like that a lot in as comics and, and such too. So you know, those are some of the other things. It's like I've always been obsessed with um images too like i didn't really realize that i was essentially developing the skill set of a visual communicator or a graphic designer i just I, I was always attracted to visual storytelling from a very early age you know and um yeah that's kind of how i ended up here and and uh and it's funny because me and tim actually went to the same school for a second <laughs> you know because how long jackson you state? I went to jackson state i went to yep. i went to jackson state university for art uh, we actually had some of the same teachers actually <laughs> You know, yep. Mr. Willie Cook, God rest him. Willie Cook, uh, yeah. late Willie Cook. I'll just say this quick thing about uh, Mr. Cook. Uh, he was a person who he would set up a still life mm. at the front of the room, the, the lab. I don't even know what it's called. You you would know, John. But yeah, just a big go break. there. Yeah. Right. And it would stay there all semester. And you would come into his class and you would draw that damn thing every day. Right. And all he would do is say, okay, you're sitting here, he'd move you to another seat. Mm. And I still to this day can remember that cow skull. Yes, the cow skull. To yes. this day, I'm like, oh my God, do I have to draw this cow skull again? Oh my God. 
Yeah, so I never forgot what he said. He said, draw what you see, not what mm. you think you see. And That's that right. has, to this day, you know, I can't see as well as I used to, but to this day, uh, uh, I that's always in my head. He's always there. Yeah, uh, and, and he had such an influence. But anyway, I've tried to interject, but I just no. He's a, no, no. He was a, no. I would, no. We're just having a conversation. I mean, because yeah, Willie Cook actually is you know was one of the reasons why I color the way I do. You know, because the way he saw color. You know, he watch a he watch a football uh, game just to see the colors interact. You know, that's how that's how into color he was. You know, every, one of the things I hated doing in classes was a tenth shade tone chart, because <laughs> basically what you do is you take one color, like say if it's red, right? So you take the color red, and you have to create every gradient, like every tint and shade. A tint is when you add white to something, a shade is when you add black to something. And we would you have to use tempera paint. And so tempera- oh, oh, this is in class where they would, they yeah. would make you, what, what's the guy, was the teacher's name Dylan? What's no, no, name? no, that was, no, I had Cook for that class. Okay, really? it was this other guy, dude. Oh my God, they used to drive us crazy with the guy to sit to every class. I was like, oh. it was insane. So, so the thing is, it was really crazy about temper paint. <laughs> it doesn't go on; it changes color when it dries a lot. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So we would have to, so we, so we actually had to, had to get like little uh, hair dryers, you know. So when you color, so you go to, to get the actual color, and you had to cut out a square and put it into the chart. It was one of the most. <laughs> it was so intense. And then I had this uh, drawing teacher named Lynette Stevenson. Yeah. You were, if you were late for class, she would she would fine you in dimes. When she oh. meant by that, it's like, you owe me five dollars worth of dimes. So you had to draw dimes at actual size. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you owe me a dollar. I, dimes. I was like, damn it. <laughs> so I, was, so I, yeah. I would say the the teachers definitely had a, a heavy heavy influence. Uh, yes. Heck, even the way I teach myself, you know, I yep. get very animated. Yep. I, you know, I love the guy, but it was all because of of uh, Floyd Coleman. Floyd Coleman, yeah, that Coleman was dope. Who was a, a a a aircraft carrier of knowledge, but had the most subdued way of teaching. Uh, it was a struggle just to stay focused because his thing was like. Hello. Today we're going to be studying Egyptian hieroglyphics. Yeah, yeah. It was like that. So I learned from him, you know, you, you learn what you know and then you learn what you don't know. And so but he had a heavy influence of how to entertain or how not to entertain in his case. Uh, so yeah, it definitely had a, a heavy influence. It's, it's, have we talked about this before, man? In depth, John? No, not a lot. Yeah. I, just, I'm not, I'm I guess about we have been so so fascinated to hear, Because right? <laughs> yeah, we're, um, um, yeah, because both of us. It was funny because um, we met in Harlem, right? That's oh, right. we met in Harlem. Was that during the um, one of the um, the Schomburg or? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, we actually met on Facebook. Oh, so man. I was doing this book for Alex Simmons, his character, Blackjack, right? Mm -hmm. And I always loved Blackjack. Uh, I had first become familiar with Alex uh, uh, in the 80s, uh, not in the 80s, in the uh, early 2000s where he was teaching for the Children's Art Carnival. And I was teaching at the Children's Art Carnival after Michael Davis and that crew that was going to form Milestone. I took over after they left, right? Oh, for right. about two years. 
Uh, and uh, at that time, I became familiar with Alex and I love the character. So I reached out to him. I said, hey, man, I love to. I haven't done comics in a while. I would love to do your, your character. So I ended up doing a 64-page graphic novel for him. But the interesting thing was, as I was talking with him, I was just like, well, you know, I'm thinking about getting into it. And he said, yeah, you should talk to John Jennings. I was like, who's that? <laughs> he said, John Jennings, he's from Mississippi. And I went, really? Oh, no, that's why he didn't tell me that. He just told me John is this, you know, this, you know, knowledge guy, knows comics. I'm like, okay, so I'm going to reach out to him. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? Because, you know, anyone who knows me, for better, for worse, I don't have any problem with reaching out to somebody. Right. Even someone who I supposedly can't reach, I'll email them and say, hey, how you doing? My name Tim. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. If they <laughs> reply, don't reply, I don't care. Yep. Because it's like, you know. You're just a person. We all, yeah, just a person, you know. <laughs> Sometimes that takes people back because they're like, well, who is this guy reaching out to me? I'm like, I don't care. But um, so I reached out to John, and as we started talking, these little points in the conversation, like, and finally, John said, yo, bro, what you know about that? <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know. I know what you think about this. He said, what do you know about that? And it came to this point where it was got so ridiculous and my mother was a business class teacher. So that's why when people, I text with people on the phone, sometimes they get upset with me because I type so fast. It's because my mother could type like almost 200 words per minute. Mm -hmm. But I, we had to get off the phone, off the text, the message, and just talk on the phone. Right. And right. that's when I knew, okay. I, the only thing I was afraid of was, is this dude my cousin or something? Because <laughs> there were too many things. So, like, you know, maybe, you know, that's what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because we, because um, my father's side of the family is from, uh, from Port Gibson, Mississippi. Actually, right. that's where, and um, which is close to Alcorn, where my, my mother went to school, which is uh, another HBCU uh, in, in Jackson, uh, I mean, in Mississippi. Um, yeah, so we, we basically, uh, yeah, we became fast friends. Um, and, I want to say, like, it was during the um, the Shadows Took Shape exhibition at the at the Studio Museum of Harlem, and me and Stacy went there, and we hung out with Twin Tim. We went over to Tim's place because he lives in Harlem. Like, yeah, it was right after that, and because I remember, like, Stacy had to run for a bus. Remember that? <laughs> so he was yeah, because right. at the time we were both in Buffalo, New York, actually. That's right. I used to teach at the University of Buffalo, and Stacy, you know, was my student at the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. like, yeah, Stacy's. You know, we he was in, he was one of my grad students actually at uh, at UB, and uh, so we were down for that show, and then we stayed. We went to uh, Tim's place, and um, and Tim had this like massive collection of artwork that actually later became like his Black Metropolis show, yeah. that was just kind of in a like it's like a giant suitcase or like a portfolio that was like bulging with artwork, <laughs> and he just started pulling the stuff out. And we're like, what do you? Dude, this is amazing. It was like amazing. It was like some some of the most beautiful like, you know, character designs, different marker renderings, all kinds of like schematics and stuff. It's gorgeous, gorgeous work. And we're like, yo, you got to do something with this. You know, the other thing too is that you know, with Maddie's Rocket, when Tim was working on Maddie's Rocket, it was originally supposed to be an animated piece, and you know, we basically, I think, you know, kind of convinced Tim that you know what, you should just do this as a, a graphic narrative. You know. So we had yeah. this, I remember one conversation we had about Scott Morris's work and about a few other like people who work in animation who also are doing like still graphic work, you know. Right. So it doesn't have to be like this sequential thing. It could be, it didn't have to be like a traditional comic. It could be 
like the things you're talking about, like, you know, um, Shaken's uh, 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 book that he did on, on uh, Alfred Bester's work. Right? Yeah, A Star is My Destination. A Star is My Destination, yeah, which I finally saw and I was like, yo, this is crazy. Yeah, it's extremely well designed and it's like, you know, the text and the image are kind of playing off of each other in a particular way. It's like, it could be like that. And so I think that was one of the conversations that kind of led Tim to, to make Maddie's Rocket, you know, which is his um, retrofuturist uh, exploration into, I mean, it's very Southern as well, but it's, and, and it definitely has like ways of, de of dealing with like um, oppression and race in a particular way too, but also is celebratory of black women, um, particularly like, like his mom or like Leon Horn or, you know, is it Bessie's, Bessie's, uh, Bessie Coleman. Uh, Bessie Coleman. Uh, I always Coleman. tell folks, I always tell yeah. them to condense it down. I say Maddie's Rocket. I say <clears throat> Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon, those serials from the 1930s Republican, uh, Republic uh, serials mm -hmm. and uh, uh, drop in the cast of Stormy Weather yep. <laughs> and make Lena Horne the main character. There you go. And that's Maddie's Rocket. With white, with white hair. That's right. That's right. You know, it's it's interesting though to to hear John describe it like that. Uh, but just beyond just, you know, my work, his work, it's just that recently we've been having conversations about formatting. Yes. Uh, as you we were saying, as uh, Scott Morris, who works for Pixar, is that correct? I think he had done some work with Pixar. Yeah, he's a storyboard artist. He's a storyboard artist, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it really comes down to, it's like, uh, I, you know, from time to time, we'll teach storyboarding uh, for at New York Film Academy. It's been a, a few years, but it just started back recently. But uh, I would tell, tell my, my, my film students, well, film, animation, comics are essentially very similar forms. Yeah, like everything is sequential. What happens first? What happens yeah. second? What happens third? But you're doing it with both a visual narrative and a written narrative. That's right. The question is, how is that visual narrative represented on the page? Is it done with the nine panel pages? That's one of the things that's so fascinating about Zoom. You literally, I'm looking at three right. images, Donna right. Lynn, right. John, myself, and then you have this graphic Mississippi Book Festival. That's right. So you're right. literally, as a person is talking, the frame is lighting up and you're going from one person to the next. Right. So the challenge now that we, through no fault of our own, just through the onset of technology and the onset of COVID and the onset of, you know, hey, I have on this sweater and a, a bow tie and a shirt and a shoes, well, no shoes, I'm barefoot. And yeah, that's the nature of where we are. So we're right. saying about a panel contains things that you see and things that you don't see. Exactly. Yes. I cannot yeah. wait to talk to my students. Right. Sorry, Donald. Yeah, because I just had the same conversation. Because I'm teaching a commerce class right now. Right. Like I'm, you know, to. I'm, I interrupted you, uh, Donald. Please continue. Oh, well, that's okay. No, I was. I was just gonna say that's why I teach with comics, mm -hmm. because ah. it's not just about the panels, about what, who's talking and who's speaking. It's the body language. It's where the chair is framed in the background. That's right. It's where, like, say, um, the silhouette of Zora Neale Hurston. Yes. In. Um, and Matt Johnson's Incognito Hall of right? So all of those things make the story. Because when we, I, I was give, I gave them a um, Stephanie Williams article, um, "Women Be Fainting," mm. and it's about women in Marvel comics and particularly X Men the animated series 
where they're, um, you know, these powerful, strong women, but they're showing strength and in some way always having to show a weakness alongside it. And what Williams does is that throughout the article, she's also showing panels. She shows panels of storm fainting. She shows mm. um, a, a short um, animation where Jean Grey trips over a telephone cord. And you're like, well, where did that even come from in the, in the cartoon where she's this powerful, all like basically the Phoenix Force is part of who she is. Right. Yet she trips over an, an extension cord. And you're like, first of all, where did it even come from in the cartoon? And to see all of that, well, in a sense, so what does it show? It shows that you're, that yes, women can be strong, but it, there's a, it's undermined because there's the weakness that's there as well. Here Storm is controlling all the elements. Yes. And then she thinks from exhaustion. How, how are your students responding to that? Well, um, some of them have been doing um, essays on particularly that. Um, mm -hmm. um, the marginalization of Black superheroes is one of the topics that we're yeah. using. And that's part of the response. It's anger, a lot of anger, yeah, anger. particularly yeah. from the, um, the women who have been writing about it in my class, women of color and Black women, is that why can't we be strong and not have to show weakness as well. Well, why why is our power undermined? Mm -hmm. no, that makes sense. By all of this, um, you know, who's writing this stuff? Right. Who's doing the animation for it? Right. Who's who's putting the extension cord <laughs> where Jean Grey can just trip over? And like, where did that even come from? Yeah, exactly. So then that begs the question. And, and you know, look, I do a story, right? Maddie's Rocket, main character is a woman. Mm -hmm. I'm not a woman. I'm a dude, right? And a problematic dude at that. But I mean, it's the truth. what is, <laughs> and it's, since you're telling me this, <laughs> and, and well, but I'm serious. I'm serious. No, no, we took I'm, I'm desperate to get to the truth. Of what is going to make my character authentic, I, but also uplifting, and I need to hear that from you right now. Go for right? it. Well, it's <laughs> the reason that the reason that it's important that you're writing Maddie's Rocket and that the protagonist is a woman, is a female character, is that you are able to think about that. You are able to have that reflection and right. say, well. How do I make this character authentic, even though I'm a uh, black guy and my experience may will not be of the same gender? Because right. even though you both might be, might be black, we may not still experience things in the same way. Right. So having that questioning of reflection, having that questioning of saying, well, what does that mean to me? It's similar to what Lillian uh, Smith, um, who was a white ally, um, mm -hmm. Uh, activist, yep. LGBTQ, lesbian, um, writer, everything, who is, for me, the embodiment of what, what allies should be, or mm -hmm. is that she questioned her white privilege. She right. questioned, well, what is my, how am I complicit right. in, in um, oppression or systemic racism? How are these 
how I how do I play a part in this? And by asking those questions, you're already a better 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 writer. You're already a better artist well, in okay. regards to that. So yeah. gender doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the social construct of race doesn't matter to me. It's the questioning of the authenticity of saying, well, maybe I shouldn't write about this character and here's why, but mm-hmm. here's why I should. Right. And for when I say who's writing this stuff, it's not just the old white guys. Right. It's the, or that there, where there's no women, um, there's no LGBTQ, there's no other ethnicities involved. Yes. It's, you know, it's, it's that, it's not just that, it's that, well, okay, you can write a good story, but why is there an extension cord in that scene? I mean, someone drew that. Right. Someone had animated that mm-hmm. to make her trip over it in a scene that really isn't called for it. Right. Why is that even there? Why is it showing that it's undermining her, that it's, it's sabotaging her and subverting her power? Right. So in okay. all of that is thinking about it and reflecting on it, at the very least, Tim, because you're doing that, is the reason why you should continue to write and do the artwork for it. All right. So, so and, and thank you for saying that. So, so, so I remember, uh, was it B-Sam when uh, Civil War? Captain America uh, Civil War came out. I don't know if you were there. Oh, the film? Yes. This was oh. Black Speculative Arts Movement. Ronaldo Anderson did his thing. And after one day of the show, everybody went to a screening of Captain America Civil War downtown St. Louis. So you're talking about 50 Black folks, all Afrofuturists, go there. We check it out. And there's this scene where you know, the late Chadwick Boseman is walking out of this government facility, but he's guarded by Dora Milaje, played by uh, uh, Florence Kasuma, who's one of the most beautiful women in the world. Like really? a statue. Love you know, her. Mm-hmm. As flawed as I am, she is perfect, right? So she is guarding him, and Scarlett Johansson comes up, and she says to her, Move or be moved. Or be moved. Now, I started crying in the theater. But it was for a slightly different reason. Mm -hmm. This is 2016 when this comes out. This 2016, 2017. So I'm crying, but I didn't immediately know why. And it's because in 1988, I was doing a graphic novel, which I never finished, called Black Metropolis. And I had this woman who was the spouse of this kind of monster, mojo monster is what I called it. Hmm. And she wore these tight dresses and she was built like Carla Dunlap, who used to be Miss Olympia. Right. And she had blonde dreadlocks, shaved hair. This is 1988 during the Reagan administration. Nobody was going to publish it, but <laughs> the fact was is that I was crying because I said, oh, my God, I live long enough for the rest of the world to catch up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that, to me, uh, if I could achieve that in my work mm-hmm. and still be alive, yep. right. to experience just a few of the fruits, 
hey, I'm good. I'm good. It, it really is very, uh, it's very exciting to see because right. myself, Tim Fielder, um, Ronaldo Anderson, Kenitra Brooks, Nalo Hopkinson, all the different, Sam Delaney, you know, um, a lot of us <clears throat> have been thinking about this type of work for a very long time. And um, I kind of came later to the party, you know, as far as the Afrofuturism goes. Um, but for the last decade or so, we've been building uh, coalitions on a global scale, <laughs> actually, um, in various media, dealing with like Black futures and specula speculation around like, you know, the diaspora. And, um, you know, we actually had me and my friend uh, Adelie Funama, who teaches at uh, Loyola Marymount University, we did these two events called Astro Blackness. We got the name from the Sunrise song, Astro Black. And they essentially were uh, uh, Afrofuturist think tanks, <laughs> you, know, you know, looking back at it, because if you look at like the, the people who were at those events, they're like a who's who of the top like Afrofuturist scholars and creators now, you know. Uh, we're talking like Nnedi Okorafor, Tanana Rivdu, Stephen Barnes, you know, Nalo Hopkinson, Ronaldo, you know, it's, it was Stacy, you know, was there as a grad student. You know, so it was like, you know, it was like this, uh, Walter Greeson, you know, was there. Uh, Maisha Wester, you look at people who, who do work on the Gothic, you know. And I was, I was just telling this to my students. It's like, if you look at something like hip hop, the, um, the, the academy had to catch up to hip hop, you know, as far as, because it was so much like, you know, looking down upon it as a cultural making form, you know. And bef before the academy started taking it seriously, it was, it was, what, 20 years later, you know. And so now, of course, you have, like, major archives at Harvard and at Cornell d dedicated towards, you know, hip-hop as a cultural phenomenon. Right. And, and the academy actually was a driving force behind Afrofuturism. You know, we, we actually were, were not, we were early to the party. And so when, when a bunch of us heard that they were making a Black Panther film, they were like, yo, if they do, if they do this right, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't, you can't put that 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 uh that cap back on that 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 genie, you know what I'm saying? That genie is out the box. That that Wakandan vibranium genie is out, you know. And um, because now you have like before Black Panther, after Black Panther, and now you have like right. before Get Out, after Get Out, because you, now you have like stuff like of course or us and like Lovecraft Country and you know the new Tales in the Hood movie, which actually is pretty good. <laughs> uh, stuff like that where you have like a um a uh, a new renaissance uh, of black cultural um, making and in, in around speculation, you know, yeah. some of his, some, a lot of it's really good. Some of it's I, you know, like Annabelle's I, you know, <laughs> um, but some stuff is phenomenal and, and actually a push is pushing boundaries, you know, like Lovecraft country. And that's really exciting to see as Tim was saying, like, you know, I can, but if I, I, I can, I need to talk to Steve Barnes more about this, like what it feels to him to actually have his life's work, you know, in front of him now. Like he's actually like, he's been in the game for a long time and he's doing like, um, you know, stuff like uh, uh, Gorgon's Child and, 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 and things like that. The Aubrey Knight stories, right? So- Street Lethal. I know, Street Lethal. Yeah, man, look. <laughs> so, um, and now, you know, him and Tanana Reeve, uh, his partner, they are turning down projects now, you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. they're working in Hollywood and you know, I'm working with them on a couple of books for Megascope and, you know, they're in demand. Like everyone who's, who's, who's making speculative work right now has opportunities. I mean, Steven, Steve, excuse me, Tim's book, uh, Infinitum, is with HarperCollins. <laughs> <It's, laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, 
it's a, a good big deal. Yeah. It's a huge deal. Exactly. It's a huge deal. And it's like, you know, yeah. it is. <laughs> it is. It, I mean, it is. But well, let me say this. Let me say this. Man. <laughs> so so I'm 54. So as John says, well, you said, well, I'm you're late. No, no, my friend, you're right on time. <laughs> because there was no one really who could marry the academic with the actual art creation at the same time. Exactly. That person, you, you it. Yeah. Sorry. That is like, a very humble. See, that's what I'm exactly what I'm talking about. That person needs to be humble. Right. They needed to be late. Right. And they need to be able to come in with just purely, you know, I'm just about trying to do the work. That's and what they I'm... gave their work over to it. Yeah. They gave their life over to it. That's what you've done. I would not have gotten back into the comics if you and Stacey hadn't come over to the house that night. I turned my back on comics because I was like, oh, well, you know, because, you know, yeah, I mean, it was the last comic I did before I left. In 99 was Richard Corbin, but it was soft porn because that's what Richard Corbin does. Soft porn comics, right? I was like, I don't want to do this anymore, right? So that was important. But for me, I've been doing Afrofuturism before it was called Afrofuturism, but we just called it Black Comics since I was a teenager. Right. The problem is that while although it's not a problem, it's just a, a fact, prose writers have generally had to run at the table. Understandably so, because it's cheaper. Yep. You don't have to deal with the inconvenience of drawing a, or showing a character that's black. Johnny Rico in Starship Troopers maybe was black. Right. Maybe wasn't black. <laughs> right. But you don't have to show him on the cover. So Chip Delaney's books come out where main character's black is called Nova. Are we going to put Lord Von Ray on the cover? Nah, we'll just put a picture of the sun exploding because it's called Nova, right? That's easy to do because it's written narratives. Yeah. When you begin to integrate the visual narrative yeah. into the equation, that's when, that's when you begin to run into a bunch of different uh, paradoxes, mm -hmm. I would say. That's why when I'm asking you, about how women should be depicted in pop, comic, media, the first thing you bring up is she tripped over a cord. Right. 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 And I'm like, what fool don't that that was a good idea. Mm -hmm. First of all, you got to animate it. Yeah. Second right. of all, it immediately undercut undercuts the agency of your character. That's right. That's exactly. why I hate. That's why people hate characters that trip over themselves in horror movies. Yes. Right. right. It's like, exactly. why would you do that? Yes. So they hate it. It's because like, it's, it's just make. I mean, it's one one of my favorite things as far as like running. You ever seen right. the, the um, Collateral? Yeah. With yeah. Uh, uh, with uh, Tom Cruise and and uh, yeah. um, Jamie Fox. Yeah. So, Jada Pinkett does not take off those high heel shoes. And she books, I'm telling you, like with her high heel shoes on, mm -hmm. she 
runs faster than I've ever seen anybody run. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. So, She's like, oh. <laughs> so, so that's the thing. That's the thing that, that for me, I was the younger in that group, but nobody knew about me. So, and I'll say this because we're at the Mississippi Book Festival. There was a documentary done by Terrence Francis called Black Sci-Fi. It was Samuel Delaney, Michelle Nichols, Stephen Barnes, and Mike Sargent, who's a journalist, a good friend. And then it was me and Floyd Hughes. Floyd's a black British cartoonist, lives in Brooklyn to this day, good friend, helped me get my start in comics, and myself. And we were interviewed. Terrence came to Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia, interviewed me, and me and Floyd were cut out. Wow. And that happened almost 35 years ago. But no one will ever know. Right. Because that work is in some crate somewhere. So that has been a sort of particularly, you know, there are different types of what we would call Afrofuturism. Uh, and some of them are kind of in their own bubbles, like superhero work yep. exists within a kind of safety of the superhero world, right. even right. though it's Afrofuturism. But then right. you have Negroes in Spaceship, which, oh, Lord, you know, what is that? You know, mm-hmm. oh, right? right. And mm-hmm. I used to do that. Right. Uh, and it was problematic, very mm-hmm. problematic. You know, who wants to 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 see an adaptation of uh, of uh, uh, the Yakub's, the big head scientist with these genetically engineered white soul super soldiers fighting against this black society? And nobody wants to see that, so right. we didn't do it. Right, right, right. I right. wanted to see it, and now we, we can <laughs> right? see it. About to get it now. I mean, seriously. Right? Yeah, we're about to get it now. Right? Uh, 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 my editor at HarperCollins lost her mind. Thank God. <laughs> and they, you know, uh, my agent, uh, uh, I was sure he was going to push uh, Maddie's Rocket because that was the one I had done. I was known for that. Yeah. He was like, no, let's do Infinite. Crazy. They'd never take it and boop, they took it. And that extended from like a 200, 150, 200 page fully rendered graphic novel to this 280, 88 page graphic novel. And it deals with a lot of those themes. It, 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 I won't say it's spectacular, but it damn sure hurt to do it. I so, think it's spectacular. He's thank like, you. Yeah, humbly not. Yeah, because I've seen, because it's funny, because me, him, and Stacy have this really long email uh, text chain. How long are we doing this? I think what two years or so? Maybe three. I mean, it's like no, I've been doing it. We started before Infinitum. It would have to be uh, from because we started on this before High John Conqueror, yeah. which came oh, maybe up in twenty seventeen. So we're talking about this thing is 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 over three. It's going on four years old now. So we actually have a, an ongoing uh, text chain where we share artwork in it. I'm trying to figure out how do we archive this because I'm also you know I'm connected to the Eden Archive here. At, yeah, how do we figure, because it's history, you know, so yeah. actually, yeah, I don't know how to figure out how to. Abby, yeah, how, that's one thing. I am not tech savvy. When you, <laughs> when you think yeah, about how to, how to archive it, I mean, that's something that is necessary. I mean, if you lose that, that's a big deal. 
Well, know, the thing man, is, because we're making we discussed the birth of your children. That's all kinds of stuff. Of your <laughs> child. My sons graduated from high school. Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman's death. Yeah. How we felt. Yeah. Get out. Everything. Just going back years. Some yeah. of them got to edit out. But yes, <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, keep it all. No, no, you, no, we got to <laughs> No, 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 done I know you're a journalist, but you got to edit that part out. No, take that out. But no, but it's a, it's a really, um, wow. because Stacy's from, Stacy's from Albany, but he spent a lot right. of time in North Carolina, you know, so there's a really strong, um, you know, connection to the South with Stacy as well. And yeah, so we've had this, we've been sharing, we've been sharing artwork, the three of us on this one long text chain for years you know we just yep back and forth and wow. it's, it really is kind of like for, for feedback but also encouragement between the three of us you know too wow you know uh, like stacy just sent us like this amazing page from uh, the tulsa race massacre people that's right it's like I just literally this, this morning this morning, this morning. Exactly. yeah so um yeah we've been sharing so we've seen like pages from infinitum and also i was sharing pages from like after the rain and some of the other and that's the Nettie Accord short story that we're doing this launching a new Megascope line, yeah. which comes out in January. Um, and also uh, just the different artists and stuff like, you know, working with Sean Martin, bro. He's, he's uh, writing his first heavy. novel, The Heavy, with us. And also this beautiful book from Barbados called Hard Ears, which is like spectacular. <laughs> it's like Barbadian fantasies graphic novel, you know. Artists working uh, cartoonists from the Caribbean, baby. For real, they, they put it down, Matthew Clark and Nigel Lynch. And so these people are going to be on my line, you know. So you can go from, like, loving loving the medium and then actually teaching the medium and actually making things, but also being able to to parlay the success of a book like Kindred into a space where we can actually have, um, you know, agency and to tell the kind of stories we want to tell, you know. The ones I've been, and it's, and it's been frustrating here or there, but, you know, I've actually managed to push through, like, 14 or so books, Um you know, one of which is uh, a, a um, an Afrofuturist solar punk version, Caribbean solar punk version of the Count of Monte Cristo, which I'm very excited about. It's called the Count. You know, is and it's Chuck right. Collins doing that with you? No, Chuck Collins is doing. Um, he's actually doing a Daniel Jose older book. Oh. Okay. The older is doing a yeah urban fantasy book. It's called Death's Day. Him and uh, Baba Malik. Yeah, his 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 Baba is uh you know they're um both, both Baba Lau, You know so. Um, yeah, and so, uh, yeah, it's like, it's about these, um, so, so basically in the story, like every thousand years, death transubstantiates, becomes a person, and, and, and interacts with this child that represents his connection to humanity, so it's like death's kid, right? These gangster vampires <laughs> steal the kid, and so, oh. so these two, these two women of color, like, uh, one is Latina, a black woman and Latina. Um, they're the police detectives, and they're they're basically called on by the secret organization to track down the child before death destroys half the life on Earth. So it's urban fantasy. It's almost like right. yes, urban fantasy. Imagine like a, a lethal weapon, but the, but but Merton Riggs are like this black and Latina woman. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's an interesting thing. It's like I'm so it's so weird for me to be around at this time mm -hmm. because you know i mean just going through the 80s and then the 90s and just being like crickets mm -hmm. and then to know that we're that we are 
um, on, on the onset of the beginning of this thing where this this is going to be a surge, huge surge of visual Afrofuturism. Yes. Right. That 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 that's that's visual Afrofuturism of Afrofuturistic narratives that are coming out to such a point where initially infinitum was just called infinitum. Right. Right. And you know, for the two years, I guess I worked on the book, you know, finally came down like, look, you you got this thing called infinitum, but there are four other projects out there called infinitum or infinitum, however people pronounce it. Mm -hmm. And I had to do a subtitle. I had to do a, a subtitle. Mm -hmm. And I was resistant to do uh, doing a subtitle for a long time until my twin brother just said, you know, you need to own this. You just, you put the work in, this is not you at the beginning of 288 pages. This is you at the end of it when your arms are about to fall off. You <laughs> claim this thing because this is it. And I that's why it became Af uh, infinitum and Afrofuturist tale. Right. And you know, and that was even the thing, well, well, you call it an Afrofuturistic tale or an Afrofuturist tale. And I'm like, I'm an Afrofuturist. Own it, baby. Own it. Exactly. So That's thank God, I, I was telling I was uh, telling uh, uh, one of my friends. I said I feel like the statue page <laughs> of, of, of Afrofuturism. It's like, how? What do you mean? How? Why would you say that? I'm like, well, I was young enough when there wasn't a lot going on in the Negro leagues, but now they made the mainstream. You know, the the majors. Still uh, not too old. I can still pitch. You know, so that's what I feel like. Statue page. That's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. No, it's um, it's been really interesting. Um, and, you know, we haven't really talked a lot about it, but, you know, it's um, it's very humbling to be in the spaces that we're in. I mean, yeah. you know, um, the, the, the level of, of visibility and, you know, just having the opportunities that are popping up just because, you know, honestly, it's, it's because people like the mainstream finally figured out it was profitable, honestly. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, but it's like it was a combination of different things. But, you know, this whole like mythology around or this 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 lie that black products or black faces don't sell you know is totally it's totally asinine you know and and that's totally shifted quite a bit you know um which is amazing to me you know so now you have um you know afrofuturist comics films music oh my god like you know music and and you know now we have like you know political movements that are being formed in other countries around afrofuturism <laughs> it's like yeah. it's pretty wild it's pretty wild and you know uh, so something else I wanted to mention too, because we're talking about the South is, um, and Tim was at uh, the first one, uh, was, was um, Planet Deep South. Planet Deep South, exactly. So Planet Deep South was a, or is a, or is a, is a symposium that was uh, co-created by myself and uh, Rico Chapman. The first one's at Jackson State University. And, and one of the things we're talking about is the fact that um, a lot of these aspirational narratives around the future come out of the South. And the people that we're looking at they're Southern. Like, for instance, people forget that Sun Ra actually was born in the South, you know. Alabama. George Clinton was actually born in the South. He, he became the George Clinton in the Midwest, but he's from the South, you know. Um, and then, it, then and it also, it, you know, people like, of course, Zora Neale Hurston and, you know, uh, John A. Williams and, and uh, Maurice White, you know, all these people, they're actually Memphis, coming. Tennessee. Memphis, exactly. So, so this notion of, like, aspiration, um, it's something that's a huge part of, I think, these narratives, right? And then, of course, you know, myself, you know, people who, who touched the South, like Natasha Womack, you know, she became politicized and um, 
aware of this movement when she was, you know, in college in Atlanta, you know. They had people like Du Bois was writing science fiction while he was in Atlanta, you know. So it's like something in Janelle Monet's like based operations is Atlanta. So, you know, so you have like uh, these different um, luminaries, you know, people like Outkast, you know, like who are associated with like, you know, hip hop and Afrofuturism, for instance, are coming out of the South. And we claim that. And it's almost like we basically want to push back against the idea that the South is just about pain and suffering and, and has no future. I mean, if you think about it, Wakanda is in Atlanta because some, some of Black Panther was filmed in Atlanta, you know, right. at, you know, at a Tyler Perry soundstage, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, so there's this, this idea of like these Black speculative, you know, uh, utopic spaces that have always been a part of the narratives, you have always been a part of the literature, you know, that we are actually embracing and pushing forward. Um, and so, yeah, so the next one was at, uh, was in Texas, in Austin. Yeah. I was there and then we did one. Um, we just recently did one in Atlanta again. That was Georgia Tech and like the AU and uh, Clark Atlanta, where Rico is a dean now, and it was really successful. It was great. Some of the top black technologists in the country were there. Uh, D. Fox Horrell, who's at MIT, um, uh, uh, Ruha Benjamin, uh, Andre Brock. You know, it was really seriously awesome. <laughs> so, so yeah. can, can we say the South is the future? You know I mean, what? It's our past, but it's, it's also our future. It, it is the future due to a lot of different things. I was listening to an interview uh, today uh, with Sanjay Gupta, he wrote this mm -hmm. book with Richard Haas, and they were mm -hmm. talking about how this virus, which is really a, one could say, well, virus is viral? What is it? It's like, well, it's a subject of climate change, as you have deforestation and things, certain things get out. That's one of the results of climate change, you know. And in this particular case, there's a huge surge of populace, which mm -hmm. I'm one of them, my wife and I are one of them, we're in Vermont now, away from the urban centers. Right. Going into the rural or suburban environments, cheaper. The environment is not as nuts, you know, but it's all about can you afford to do that? So. Right. Yeah, I think Atlanta is going to become really interesting over the next five, ten years. Very interesting. Yeah. A lot of us at Birmingham, you're there in the middle of these land masses, uh, uh, but they're surrounded by numerous lakes, so there's a water supply. Yeah. You know, those are the things that, you know, uh, Clarksville, Mississippi is in the middle, middle of the Mississippi Delta. It's flat. And there are millions and millions of acres of vacant land with nothing but cotton on them. So all of a sudden you can build towns that go up in those empty spaces, you know? Yeah. And it's Clarksdale's right down from uh, the Mississippi River. So you can pipe water in and out. So all kinds of interesting things that will happen over the next 50 to 100 years. You know, it's funny, when I was... Um when me and my, my uh, classmates were still at, in Flora, you know, uh, we, we postulated that Flora, which is so close to Jackson, would become like a suburb of Jackson, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep, that's what happened. I mean, basically, you know, with white flight, you know, people move out of the, out of the urban centers and they start buying up land left and right. And it's, a, it's an easy commute. And places where I used to live, honestly, like, you know, the little shacks and stuff that we used to live in, honestly, not to be hyperbolic, but that's what they were. Um, are now replaced by like mansions and, you know, uh, 
different like um, large, you know, subdivisions and stuff just, you know, in Madison County, you know, because really there's a lot of, there's a lot of growth from what I understand on the outer rim of, of, of uh, Jackson, but, you know, there's been times when I visited the, the city and it was like driving through a corpse, you know what I'm saying? Like it was like, it was really, um, there's a lot of like, you know, infrastructure issues and stuff that need to happen too. So um, they need to be dealt with, um, I think. What do they call it? They're being annexed. Right. right. The town is being annexed, is what they right. call it. So, so I'm like, you know, so I think, yeah, that's definitely, the South could be a, a great space, a great future. You know what I'm saying? I mean, always, I mean, as long as there's people and people have, and they have hope, then you can have a future. That's what I look at it. But my whole thing is like, whose future? And, and the thing that Afrofuturism always questions is like, well, you know, where are people of color in that future? Because, you know, to borrow from our friend Lisa Yazik's work, she talks about, um, that uh, Afrofuturism is also like reclaiming and re renaming the past as well, you know, because you have to you have to realign the history of the future, so to speak. Because if you look at like a lot of those um, previous narratives, they are um, there's there's a dearth of black representation or representation of color. Uh, it's almost like you know we we ended up moving to a different space, <laughs> you know, altogether. You know, if you look at like sci-fi of the you know 50s and 60s, you know, in television, of course. Uh, which is why, you know, someone like Uhuru, you know, uh, Nichelle Nichols' uh, character on Star Trek was so important with, with all of this. Yeah. And um, yeah, anyway, so yes, but that's, but it's, thinking about the future, is, a Black future is still a radical notion at best, too. It's still a radical notion, you know, even now, you know. Um, I, I would, would like to ask, uh, Donald, what do you, now that you've done this book where you wrote this, this, this book, what, where, what's next on the horizon in terms of where, what yes. direction are you going to be going? Okay, that's what I'm here about you. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't stop, right? Um, at, well, from what I've been doing for the past year, over the past year, is that I've been, um, I, it first started when John asked me to do um, some of the back matter for Bitter Root and an article on, I did one on epigenetics and the idea of shared trauma, ancestral yeah. trauma. Yeah. And I started getting more into it. Um, with my classes um, that semester and, and this semester as well, because we're doing social justice mm -hmm. so, and civic engagement. So that idea of how does trauma and our shared trauma, not just of communities, but of people of color, of black people, um, of immigrants, how does that shared trauma translate in the idea of um, how we're living our lives and where do we go go to from here. Mm -hmm. So right now, um, I'm currently doing an essay um, that's going to be published um, by University Press of Mississippi, again. <laughs> um, okay. It's part of an anthology with, um, depicting um, X-Men animated series wow. and from taking different takes of it. There's artwork that, and graphic design and writers and I'm doing an I'm doing an essay on shared trauma and epigenetics on X-Men and, <laughs> and mutants and like when we're talking about their shared trauma right um do characters like Bishop and Storm have a double shared trauma in epigenetics right. they already have a shared trauma as mutants of being hated and feared but then that, that, that is based upon them being mutants and black and black. black, right. Oh my God. So they have a double trauma. Did you do that? Right? 
It's a very interesting because I have to talk to you more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, congratulations! That, wow. <laughs> but it's the thing is, is that the essay itself. It's, I feel like I can write right. a book on it, but the essay right. that I'm writing has to right. be like a finite amount of pages. Yeah. And the struggle is, you know, what do I cut? Wow. <laughs> because there's that I that one idea alone that I started thinking about the other day is that well, okay you have this shared trauma with mutants in and of itself. Right. What happens about, um, and I'm, I'm not dealing with the comics, unfortunately, I would go into the New Mutants and Danny Moonstar and other characters like that, but I'm just dealing with the X-Men, the, the series. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm dealing with the idea of, let's say Bishop and, um, and Storm, and they have, a, they have double of that trauma. Because they're not just, I mean, Storm is African. Right. Um, and, there's, and, and in the animation, she comes from one place. In the comics, right. she comes from another part of Africa. I'm like, right. Africa's not a country. It's a continent. Right. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a large, vast space. So, you know, that, and the idea of Bishop coming from the future to the past, um, he may have even more of a set wow. of double trauma. It might even be more for him in the sense of um, time and nonlinear trauma that he experiences, not only in the future, but in the past. Because when he goes back to the future, um, it's, still, it's still bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, things have not gotten better because he traveled back in time and stopped um, the assassination of Xavier. When he right. goes back to the future again, it's still, things are still bad. And then there's another part of the future where there's a, a virus. I yeah. mean, it's, it doesn't get better for Bishop when he travels yeah. back in order to stop whatever um, is occurring in the past. All right, so, so Donalyn, let me ask you this. So I've read the book, I've reviewed it. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at all these ideas. You're just telling me some ideas. I'm like, how's she gonna fit all that in this, book, I'm like, right. does that then lead to an original narrative? Like a well, narrative? That might be the, the, that's the challenge for me. I, I am not a fictional writer. I mean, I can, I can transfer into that space, but it's an exceedingly challenging space that I don't have the, the talent for. Right. In that sense, that's going to take time for me to cultivate that talent. Okay, okay. Because um, I'm saying, well, you just said it sounds pretty damn entertaining to me. Right, because <laughs> I'm what my family calls me a great, you know, you're a great storyteller. Mm -hmm. uh, and how do I translate that in, a, in print? It, mm -hmm. It's more attuned to being visual, actually, yeah. than okay. being um, just in prose. So mm -hmm. that... Um, is a struggle for me because I'm I, I can visualize it in my head what I would want but I am not an artist I'm not someone who can draw not even a stick figure that's not me <laughs> so does it have I to can, have visuals because I mean well, where you're talking like what's it studs turkle yeah. Uh, uh, yeah it's like World War Z you know you didn't need visuals it told right. itself I mean is, is that a prose book I mean it, it's it's a prose story but for me, 
I would want to see the visual. Ah, yeah, I'm a yeah. fan of the comic and the graphic novel. Well, and, and this, in this my heart, is that's where they would want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is where different hybridized ideas happen, right? You know, just as we respect the format. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So, so. Uh, by the way, I'm available for the cover. Right. <laughs> and see, the thing is, is that um, I'm I'm only doing one essay in the anthology. Okay. So yeah. It's not even you know. I mean, I'm just a small part. It's a in great idea for concept. Uh, for a collection. But, um, you know? Yeah, I love yeah. the collection of it. But yeah. um, in doing that sort of finite part that I'm doing with my essay, with my what I feel is like a really short essay <laughs> because um, they, they're, they're giving us an amount of words that we have to write, mm-hmm. which includes the bibliography. And I'm like, oh man, you know, so I'm going to have to make this in a way in which all of my ideas that I want to discuss, is not going to be in there. Oh. So I'm going, I have to already pick and choose what I'm going to move forward with, because there's so much that I wanted to discuss and say in the idea of shared trauma, like Charles Xavier's complicity in white privilege, yeah. in the shared trauma of the X-Men, even in the, in the show itself, he has white privilege. He's right. complicit in what happens to several of the characters and yeah. their trauma yeah. um, that happens all the time. Yeah, with Rogue, with um with scott with um with wolverine specifically Alex. where he does not listen to wolverine when wolverine says look Sabretooth is dangerous he needs to be out of this mansion but charles feels as if he knows better because he's charles xavier but he doesn't understand that Sabretooth likes being who he is and doesn't want to change right. and the only reason why he's in there was to um be able to get in for whatever plan that Magneto was doing. So there's a lot that Xavier is complicit in to the trauma of mutants. And I think that Wolverine and the X-Men actually explores that, which is actually just like one season. Unfortunately, I think because they ran out of money, the studio did. um, And you're going to stick all this in one chapter. Well, so she, she's not even, like, wow. I'm not even, I'm just doing an essay. Like, that, that, that sounds fascinating. I'm like, that, holy crap. Those are the ideas that I feel like I want right. to discuss. And that's Every time at watching the series, I feel like right. it should be in there. So it'll figure itself out. I right. Right. Like the beginning of a, it sounds like it's going to be a monograph. Yeah. I that's did the what, same thing with Yerby uh, when I started reading his work. And I was doing that essay for Rediscovering Frank Yerby, and I'm part of that anthology as well. That's also published by the University Press of Mississippi. Right. The something I have with them right now. Oh, yeah. Matthew <laughs> so, Touch, too, by the way. That's a shout out to Matthew Touch. <laughs> right. So um, when I started reading Frank Yerby's books, I was like, oh man, there is so much happening. Yes. But what's my focus? What? But I had the luxury of. Um, writing more than I do for this particular um, project. So I have to sort of, in a sense, taper what Mm -hmm. I need to write about. So I'll probably give touches Mm -hmm. on certain parts of it and go more in depth than others, but um, I think it's a great project. Say it again, John, I'm sorry? I think it's a great idea. I mean, I like it a lot. So (laughs) 
And that's our challenge. It's just this conversation. It's it's what I tell folks. I was like, there's so much work that hasn't been done. Yeah. Yeah. That it's like people. I I had uh, a, uh, an agent tell me, potential agent tell me, that they love Afrofuturism, but they they're more interested in Afrofuturism in the future as opposed to the past. And Maddie's Rocket is done as retro because my mom and dad, who's still alive, God bless us, never got to see that stuff when they were younger. So there's so much work that we have to go back and finish because it was never done. It's like, has there been an adaptation yet of the comic? Yeah. Right. In graphic novel or even film form. You're talking about W.B. Du Bois' comic? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because from what I understand, because uh, I was talking to, um, oh, um, Britt Russell, who was the right. the, prof, uh, the professor who found the Princess Steel with um, mm-hmm. uh, Adrian right mm-hmm. now. Is Adrian Brown, I think is her name, is she, you know, in Chicago, um, is that the, the estate really doesn't like to see Du Bois as a as a speculative fiction writer, you know. So they actually, they really, I think that's what she was getting across. Because one of the first things I thought about was, well, we need to adapt that. Jesus right. Christ in Texas, Jesus Christ in Texas, which is another one he did, and also um, the Princess Steel. They should all. This should be a trilogy of stories. Yeah. yeah. Now, mind you, and I'm say this right now. I actually have been working on a um, a Du Boisian inf- influenced kind of like mythopoetic about connecting Afrofuturism. You know, just using Du Bois as kind of like our H.G. Wells. You know. Right. Well, that's what he is. He is a contemporary in a sense. Yeah, and then also, me and my friend Clint Fluker have been thinking about Henry Dumas as like our Lovecraft to a certain degree. So we're actually yep. thinking about it that way too, because of some of the darker subjects that he would write about. So, so that's something I've been kind of cobbling away on in the background. So it's going to take a lifetime to get through all this work. Yeah, it will. It will. And and that's the thing that's really frustrating because. <laughs> yeah. you know, Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. so are we, I mean, it's the, we've been talking for an hour and a half. Right? Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh. You know, we didn't mean to go on. Oh, it's so great. Long. It's great. <laughs> I, I don't wanna, yes, it's been great. Yeah. Because yeah. we've, we've gone, a, we've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> yeah. I want to say this too, by the way. Um, my wife, Tawana, who's in the back somewhere, she, I don't know if she's going to hear this or not. When I was talking, when we first met, and uh, she said she's a huge X Men fan, right? And she was a big fan of the movies. And I said, oh, well, you, you know, so what are, you, what are some of your favorite storylines in comic books? And she didn't realize that they were comic books. She thought that, she thought that, the, that, the, that the movies were based on, on the uh, animated series. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, but they were <laughs> on the animation. Yeah, she thought, yeah. She thought that they, they took those and that was what the, what the X-Men movies are based on. Wow. I know, I know. It's interesting, right? I always talk to my students about that. It's like, yeah, you know, you don't have to, you can be a fan of Spider-Man and not be, a, and not have ever read a comic book. Exactly. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. I mean, right. it's better context with the comics. Yeah, but, it really is. Yeah. But the, I have to say the animated series, what it did was it, for a whole generation of people, it got some people back in touch with comics in that sense. Yeah. Some yeah. people went mm-hmm. to the movie. So it was like, it's sort of like a, it was like a split. For someone like me, I was like, just get it right, please. You know, if you get it right, then we can have more of this. Because right. I've been through the struggle of Super Friends, and I yeah. didn't want to go through that anymore. I was like, look, if you're going to do the animation right, please do it right. 
And if mm-hmm. it's going to go be filmed, please get the casting right. Get it right, please. Because if we get it wrong, we'll never have nice things again. <laughs> you know, so that is, so. but that, there's a, a split too. And I saw people going back towards the comics and mm-hmm. I saw people casting for the films. Yep. And, you know, and, they're, and all based on this one animation. And that's part of what I, I think that um, Afrofuturism does and um, to a bigger extent, Black speculative fiction does. Because we, it involves horror. It involves, because when, when I watch Lovecraft's Country, mm-hmm. I see that. Yep. I see Afrofuturism in that. Oh, I yeah, see definitely. speculative fiction in that. I see yeah. our history in that. Especially yeah. the other day with um, Bopsy and... Topsy. Oh, yeah, Bopsy and Topsy. And I haven't I was seen it yet. Small alert. I haven't no, seen it yet. Oh, you don't have to... I, it, it was... It was <laughs> just, yeah. I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> it was yeah. just... I, I will never give a spoiler, but I'm like... I was right. like, I, I can't talk about right, right, right. Lovecraft Country. Right, right, right. And like, unless someone else has seen it, right. that's the kind of context where I'm like... Well, all we can do is talk about the scene. We can't really talk about, you know, what the meta part of that scene means. Because yeah. if we see the scene, then we already know the meta of it. No, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's totally true. I mean, it's funny because, again, you know, and I've been in conversation with, um, with uh, Jordan Peele's company on, on, on several occasions, you know, and I met with him. Uh, for a couple of hours, actually, both while they were actually developing Lovecraft Country, and um, there was actually one particular point where I might have been where they had mentioned maybe me talking to Misha Green about the show, you know, which was I was very excited. It never happened, you know, mm. but uh, it was it was a point because well, you know, it we'll will. see, you'll see, but um, yeah. So to me, when I see stuff like that, you know, it, it, they're catching up to again to the types of conversations we've been having in the academy and actually in the independent comic section for a long time. In fact, our friend Jeremy Love posted some of his work from Bayou, which is phenomenal, mm-hmm. which which also takes it takes place in a fictitious Mississippi town called Charon, Mississippi. And um and it's kind of like a combination of like Song of the South meets um meets uh, uh what Alice in Wonderland and something else. <laughs> so Swamp yeah. Thing. Like Swamp I've, Thing. Oh yeah. The, the, yeah. I can see the Swamp Thing aspect in that a lot. I've, yeah. I've, I've read that and I've read scholarship on it. And yes. it's just amazing. Uh, Keanu, Keanu, Keanu Wittitt's work, right? In particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, because um, she did a whole piece about comics in the South and talked about Bayou. But, and he's finishing it up too, by the way. Um, and yeah, so he posted some images. It's like, yeah, so, you know, we've been having these conversations in this space for a long time, you know? And it's funny because, you know, it just talks about the insular nature of the different media that we have. Like, to me, like the idea of, of uh, mainstream comics is an oxymoron, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly now. Particularly now. Yeah. It's the mainstream yeah. comic because like, well, people didn't even know who Green Lantern was, you know, or like, you know, yeah. they, you know what I'm saying? It's like when, when these movies and stuff were coming out, you know, the mainstream, this is like this, you know, this is what I tell people. First of all, like being a famous comic book artist is like being a famous dentist. That's the first thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing is, um, if your mama don't know, then then it's not mainstream, you know. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. yeah if, if your grandmama don't know, so oh, the Flash. Oh yeah, I know the Flash. He be running real fast. Yeah, that's my. You know, that's my. I like that's my boy. I like watching mm-hmm. that show. You know what I'm saying? If your grandmother or your mom don't know, 
then it's not mainstream. Mm -hmm. I, I think, I think, you know, well, you know, for me, I you know, I guess we get get ready to close it out. I think that's where will be interesting to see if that's the next stage we're going to. I mean, because you know, talk about music, Janelle Monae. Yeah, people know who she is. She's your grandmama knows who she is. Yep. You know, but now this next thing with this visual Afrofuturism, uh, uh, where where the the books are being adapted adapted to film or the right. graphic novels themselves. I'm interested in seeing because Lord knows I need it to happen come January 19th, 2021. <laughs> if not, it'll be released available for pre-sale uh, yeah. at HarperCollins.com. But uh, it, it's uh, that's that's where my interest now, my focus now is. Yeah, January is going to be an interesting month because if a night is dropping after the rain is dropping, which is the first book from the Megascope series, mm -hmm. and, and, and Nedia Korafor's new uh, novel drops to Remote Control, which she's been working on for a long time, drops as well. It's gonna be an like Afrofuturist, you know, black uh, um, month extravaganza, you know. And then of course, you know, you jump into February, and you know, it gets it gets crazy. And of course, you know, right now, actually, October is uh, Black Speculative Fiction like month. You know that, right? Yeah, in the UK, I think. Yeah, well, well here too. Yeah, yes. October, yeah, because uh, I want to say, did Milton Davis and them start that? Because, you know, this is Black Futurist Month, you know, Black oh. Speculative Month is October. I know it's Black History Month in the UK, I think. Yeah, but this is a speculative, so this but, is all like But it's also so Speculative black, Fiction Month in the US. Yes. So it's, for, oh, for, oh for black, okay. Yes, Black Speculative Fiction Month, yeah, or Black Speculative Month, yeah, is October. Oh, that's awesome. Which I keep forgetting, but yeah, it is. So that that's, is, I think it's official and everything, so. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just think of this as a Halloween month. Well, it definitely is a Halloween you know, month. I just, I just think of October as being horror month. That's, horror month, that's, that's my month where I get to watch all of my horror films and I, you know, everybody gets to see it, including myself. And finally, you know, and I, I wait all year for this month. That's funny because did you see the meme of like, <laughs> it's a meme of all of, all of our, the horror fans judging the people that do that. They're like, you know, oh yeah, <laughs> the side I eye. Constantly. Oh, and 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 today, by the way, I'm gonna put this in the chat. Um, I knew um, I'm working on this thing with Stuart Stuart Jaffe and uh, Garrett Ganey, but it, we just dropped a new uh, black speculative comic today called uh, called The Blues Man, Lady of the Grave. Like oh, this person, awesome. yeah, I just put a link in. This, so it's available exclusively on Peep on Peep Game Comics, which is a black. Um, you know, uh, distribution company, uh, digital dis distribution company owned by Amani Latif. But yeah, so one of my former students did illustration. I did like the production on it, design, and uh, it's based on uh, Stuart, G Stuart Jaffe's uh, Blues Man novel. So, oh, man. You know, a novel series, actually. So, check that's, it out. That's the one thing that um, after I first read Blue Hand Mojo, I was like, mm -hmm. I must have more of this. And I will, I will. You know, then, yeah. But when I initially read it, I was like, wait, it's only one graphic novel? Because my whole thing is like, I come to things late. So I figured that there was, you know, like a series. No, there is. Or, it's a series in my but, head. But there was, <laughs> there, was, there was only one graphic novel. And I hoarded that for so long. And I was mm -hmm. like, well, okay, there's only one. And I'm okay with that. I'm, going to I'm so sorry. That. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just that we got distracted because we ended up the one thing about adapting things and actually working on like uh, work that is um, licensed properties, which I'm probably about to fall into more, you know, it's hard, you know, the people that have those 
they just have more money to pay you to do things. That's one thing too. It's like, and also too, it was a an honor, of course, to work on Octavia Butler work, but it's led to so many other things. Golden but ball you, and chain, baby. Golden ball yeah, and chain. Probably the golden ball and chain um, is um, is the fact that uh, you know you, it does take you away from your your own work, and so that's one one of the reasons my why me and Tim have been talking so much about different formats, you know, because. Blue Hand Mojo does, it's, it's almost illustrated prose. You know, it, it, if you push it a little bit more, it could go into the direction of like something like Chandler by um, Jim Steranko. Yeah, which is beautiful mm-hmm. and really well done. So, um, you know, so I've been thinking about that too. So I'm actually, this Peep Game comics piece is like an experiment to, you know, because basically with Imani, you can actually do a, you can do a comic and then put it up for sale pretty much instantaneously. I just uploaded this like a few days ago, you know, so. I mean, and he just approved it. And so now it's available for sale, you know? So, you know, and it's, these are different ways to do shorter pieces, you know, because Blue Hand Mojo could be like a, a shorter, it could be like a series of, of, of illustrated, you know, images too, you know, it can, you know, it's because there's a serialized nature to the character because he's essentially right. a detective, but, you know, but there's with super, supernatural implications, you know, he has- So, so you do smaller stories and collect them once a certain amount of- Exactly, that kind of thing. That's what, we do, that's what we're getting ready to do with, with, uh, yeah. with Box of Bones. Because Box Makes of Bones, sense. the first three issues of Box of Bones that have been up for sale on, um, they haven't been, you know, promoted as, as much as they probably should have. But, you know, the first five stories are getting ready to be collected into a trade paperback. And, as, and, and they're, we're probably gonna send that to the printer like next week. So there you go. Right now, I'm just waiting on a, on, a, on an intro from Stanford Carpenter. <laughs> Taking forever. <laughs> hey man, at least he's going. At least he's working on it. He'll get it. Back. I know, man. I'm just saying though. I was like, bro, it's only 800 words. You know, come on, man. bang that out. He's trying to make it all perfect and whatever. I'm like, look, we gotta get this thing out. So, <laughs> you know, like I tell, I tell my students, you know, at some point, this has to get done. It's gotta get done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Yeah, this has been almost to shut it down. We've 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 been uh, slamming for the last hour and a half. And it's yes, been, yes, they got their money's worth. Mississippi Book Festival. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Steve Yates. Thank you, Ellen. Where's Ellen at? Oh, thank you, Ellen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, Ellen. <laughs> hey, Ellen. I know we're gonna talk to you. I was like, these people keep talking. <laughs> this has been incredible. I mean, uh, like, this has been one of the most in-depth conversations on a subject that I've ever had the privilege of listening to. And John, <laughs> I'm like Tawana. I mean, I came to X-Men because of the um, cartoon. For the cartoon, exactly, I'm, yeah. I'm from a small Mississippi Delta town. We didn't have comics available. Oh, which one? Which one I'm, are you from? I'm from Rolling Fork. Oh, <laughs> Lord! Yeah, yeah. Are you from Rolling Fork? Yep. That's what my- Yeah, my, they, they my used to decimate us in football. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, my, from there, John? My sister lives in Rollinsville right now. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, wow. actually, it's funny because the first time I brought Tawana to, because she's from Chicago, to Mississippi, we went to Rolling Fork to see my family because uh, my, my, my youngest niece was graduating from high school. So. Oh, that's amazing. Well, we go, I mean, we go to New Orleans. So. <laughs> my whole family still lives there. I'm going there tonight, actually. It's funny. The first time I heard of Rolling Fork, one of my friends, her name was uh, Barbara Rasco. She was Miss Jackson State. She was from Rolling Fork. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, the Delta is the smallest place on earth. My, um, my in-laws. Yes. My in-laws <laughs> live in Cape, they're from New Jersey, but they live in Cape Canaveral. 
mm-hmm. they're building one day and I met a woman at the elevator and she's from Belzona, Mississippi. I'm oh, like, yeah, Belzona, yeah. we're everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, oh. it's interesting. I was talking with a, a, a you know, friend, I, I won't reveal her identity, but I was saying about myself and John, I said, the irony is, I said, that very thing that we were made fun of for doing as younger kids, doing yep. comic books, we may actually be the more known practitioners of that form from the state of Mississippi. I said, that's, the, Mississippi, that's yeah. the irony of it. Oh, yeah. Well, it's really crazy. And I was really honored that, that Tim uh, did the, the, um, the piece for the Clarion Ledger. I used to work for the Clarion Ledger right out of high school. Oh, you did? Right, right of, yeah, I used to, I, used to um, I was there as an intern and a, and a graphic artist um, in the, uh, the newsroom. And so I would do like, so for instance, back in the day when they used to do those television uh, guides, I used to do the Ruby Lift uh, production yeah. for those. That was so pink. <laughs> and then the other thing was like, I used to do like uh, information graphics when crimes would happen. So like when someone was like, when a car was broken into or someone was shot or something, I would actually have to go and do like the little schematics of like where the, where the crime happened, stuff like that. Oh God. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. So, and that was right out of, that was like my first real job out of uh, Jackson State actually before I went to grad school. Yeah. And it was kind of cool to actually have, you know, a book. Thank you, Dollar, for doing that. A book about my work, you know, in, you know. Yeah, that's all in there. The clarion and everything. Yeah, yeah, everything's in there. And then I'll, I mean, congratulations to you both for doing that. Oh, thank you. And it's a great you. collection. You know, I was going to say, too, this is crazy. You're talking about like Mississippi connections. I'm, a, I'm about to blow your mind. So I was actually uh, putting together a, um, a, a show about the connections between Black uh, popular culture and Japanese popular culture. I was in Japan. I was in. I was. I was at Doshisha University, which is like the Yale of Japan. And I was talking to this gentleman. I forgot his name. He's Japanese, <laughs> and he he did his work on like the about Muslim people in Japan. That's what his work was about. This gentleman, this Japanese, this Japanese dude, he went to Tougaloo. Oh wow! Shut up. He went to Tougaloo for undergrad. From Japan, it was at Tougaloo College. That's very. Good. I was like, my cousin, my my favorite teacher from high school went to Tougaloo. My cousin used to teach there, right? And I was like, we're in the middle of Kyoto. <laughs> I'm like, oh. It was crazy, and I'm like, I'm like, you went to what Tougaloo College? Like for real? <laughs> Worldwide. It was unreal, you know. And it was funny because I got a chance to go to Kyoto like twice, and. Um, when the first time I went there, I actually bought a backpack there, wow. the great backpack, and it was and and it was and I wore it every day. It was like such a great backpack, and I decided that when I went back the second time, I I, I basically took it back to almost the same place I bought it, and I left it there. <laughs> and it was like like years uh-huh. later, yeah, yeah. It was like it was torn to pieces. It was like falling uh-huh. apart, and I kind of just put it back where I got it from. It was pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. We all. <laughs> It's just been incredible. I mean, like, I, I just—I've just been sitting here. The executive director of the book festival is in there with my baby right now, and I can hear them. But I'm yeah. like, fine. And I've just been like so engaged. This has been an incredible conversation. We've been rambling about just our stuff, you know. But I'm—I'm I'm extremely grateful again, Dallin, for you even caring about anything that I've done. So I appreciate. Oh, it. Thank <laughs> you. Know? Oh well, you've—you've you've changed my life career-wise. Um, oh wow. That's—that's that's, you know, I teach Damn. now. <laughs> because because we're we're I I teach openly before it used to be like close the door wow. with the comics and everything and like don't tell nobody but here's some comics and we teach them with the comics right now 
And it became like, no, there's academic scholarship. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, keep reading. And I, 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 I read Blue Hand Mojo. I just Googled your name and sort of Black of the Ink. And I bought that. I said, I'm mm-hmm. going to bring some milestone into this thing. And I just started going from there. I was like, no, I can, I can do comic studies. Wow. And, 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 and University of Press? Mississippi yeah. Press is one of the top in the, in the world actually to do comic studies through. So thank y'all, you know, thank them for that. Thank too. you. Oh, thank definitely. You. Yeah. Now this has been great, y'all. So um, I'm extremely, uh, I'm extremely. Uh, uh, <laughs> right. That's uh, my. I'm gonna show right? the trick. You ready? Right. Oh, you can oh. do it. I uh, yeah. Dick Williams from Memphis, Tennessee. He did a show called Magic Land for years. I grew up on it. I can't. And that's what I do. Yeah, I know. I just did it because I never tried to do that before, but I could do it. Good, man. It's oh, wow. Good. I never I thought. I can't switch that. back and forth. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I'm really like about it. <laughs> Such wow. <a> <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you all hey, so, thank much. You so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival the South's Literary Lawn Party.